Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Singing a song about God's faithfulness on a day when we're preaching stewardship seems fitting, right? We see that stewardship truly is a discussion worth having because God our Heavenly Father has been faithful to us in everything that we have. A lot of times when we talk stewardship, we talk about money. And I'm not going to stand up here and talk about money today, so you can, uh, you can be, feel pretty at ease about that. That's Pastor Doug for next week. He can talk about money. <laughs> today I'm talking about, well, you might think, well, okay, if he's not talking about money. So we talk about the big three T's of stewardship, right? There's time, talent, and treasures. So if he's not talking about treasure today, he must be talking about time and talent. Well, one of the sort of ideas or mentalities about stewardship that I want to shake loose from its mooring right away in your mind is this. Stewardship is not about just time, talent, and treasure. Those are three categories of being a good steward that we often talk about as pastors. People often talk about when they give testimonies. And it's sort of kind of the way we talk about stewardship from, a, from an organizational and structural standpoint in the church. But stewardship is not simply a church and organizational term. It is a biblical term, spiritual term. You could even say it's a theological term. It's about our relationship to God. So let me ask this question. Does God want your money? Well, I don't know. Maybe. Apparently he does. He's asking for it, right? Does he want your talents, the things he's given you? Does he want them? Yeah, sort of. Does he want your time? Sort of, kind of, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Maybe there's a better way of talking about stewardship than God wanting your time, talent, and treasures. Maybe, instead, what we need to think about is not that God wants those things, but that God wants you. He wants everything about you. All the stuff that makes up you. We talk about time, talent, and treasures, but God doesn't really want those individual things. What he wants is your heart. And he knows that trying to organize our time, trying to figure out our treasures, trying to employ our talents, our things that sort of fill up the moments and the days and the weeks and the years of our lives. And so he says, give those to me because I don't just want those things. I want you. I want your heart. I want to possess it. I, dare I say, God almost borderline covets your heart. He wants it for himself. He's a jealous God who doesn't want to share your heart with this world. Except he does, because he sends us out into the world to transform this world. But he wants your heart. He wants all of you. And so that's what I want to talk about today is bigger, stewardship is bigger than time, talent, and treasures. It is a relationship between you and God, and God wants your heart. And he also wants others' hearts as well, all of his creation to be restored. So how does he go about doing that? Well, he doesn't say, take your money and go make disciples. He doesn't say, utilize your skill for juggling and go create more people sitting in the church pew, even though sometimes money and talents can do that. He doesn't say, take the time of your day and and, and figure out ways that other people can come to know Jesus. Once again, he does sort of do those things, but on an even higher level, 
the way he says to make disciples is to go and be amongst them and make disciples and teach and do things in a right and proper relationship to your neighbor. And so today, that's what I want to talk about is not stewardship of time, talents, and treasures, but stewardship of your relationships. Stewardship of people. Are people a resource like time, talent, and treasures? Yes. Are they merely a resource to move around and and cajole and take advantage of? No. Money is a resource that way. Talent and time are resources that way. But people are not just resources, but they are resources to some degree. God uses us to do powerful things in this world. And so what I want to talk about today is this idea of stewarding or taking good care of your relationships. So what does that look like to take good care of your relationships? Well, for starters, we have a bit of a problem. The problem is we live in a broken world. And because of that, there's a natural sort of entropy or chaos that makes our relationships sort of naturally decay. I want you to kind of imagine that every person that you interact with in this life, there is kind of like a social bar or meter that's invisible, but it's right next to their, to their face, right? And over time, whether they like you or hate your living guts, that meter is moving based on the way you interact with them. Most of us kind of sit in this like low neutral area until we meet people and then maybe we say hello to them and that goes up a little bit. Or maybe we do something nice for them that goes up a little bit. But over time, that meter is slowly decaying. The apathy, the forgetting to call people, the the little slights that our sinful nature and our broken world perpetuates against us, it slowly decays over time. It's almost imperceptible. And if you don't continue to steward that resource, just the same way if you don't steward your money, it's going to decay. If you don't steward your talents and practice those gifts and abilities God has given you, they slowly decay. And just like the time that you have, if you don't do a good job of taking care of that, you'll wonder where it all went. It slowly decays. And so we're called to be stewards of these gifts because they're perpetually going And decaying down. And when we steward these gifts, when we take care of our money, when we take care of our time, when we take care of our talents and practice them, that gets a little bit better. People and our relations to to them, our relationships to them is the same way. Some of you guys might have old friends, old buddies from your youth, right? And sometimes you can get together and things are just like, you know, when you were young, except they never really are. Sometimes you have relationships with parents or grandparents or kids or grandkids or other things like that, and we know that those relationships have to be sustained. You can't just expect a person to be a friend if you're never talking to them, if you're never investing in them, you're never giving them words of encouragement or or supporting them in difficult times. Friendships are built on this stuff, this stewarding stuff of building up and and sustaining and lifting up and being present in the lives of other people. So what does this look like on on a slightly bigger scale? Well, I think our epistle lesson for today actually has some very wise words for us. Verse 8 of chapter 4 in our reading today says this. It says, above all, 
as, as the highest priority, you could kind of say. Above all, love deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. We have a problem in this world that the world is a broken place and our, rela- our relationships are, are tainted by that brokenness. And, and any relationship that you have is between two broken people, so you're trying to sustain, maintain something that's kind of got a problem in it from the very start, sort of like buying an old car, right? It's going to fall apart over time. You have to work on it and sustain it and keep it up. Well, uh, Peter's message to us is this. There are going to be bumps in the road. There are going to be sins, a multitude of them even, a lot of problems that occur in your human relationships. A lot of backstabbing, a lot of rumor milling, a lot of hard times, and, and apathy even. And you know what fixes that problem? Pretty much nothing but one thing. And that's loving someone deeply. Showing your appreciation and love for them will cover over those broken, broken things within our relationships. I want you to think right now about someone in your life. Maybe you have done something to offend them. Maybe your sinful nature has caused you to uh, make them walk away from you. Maybe they have done something to you that has caused you to walk away from them. Maybe you just haven't talked to someone in a while because your life got a little busy. There was this whole pandemic thing that separated us for so very long. Maybe you simply just haven't had the time to call grandma or to get in touch with that old friend and have a cup of coffee. And I want you to think about how love covers a multitude of sins can be applied in that particular scenario. As I think about Peter's example that he gives to us in 1 Peter chapter 4 and how love covers a multitude of sins, I was reminded of kind of a proverb or like a parable that I heard. It's not from the Bible. I think it actually originated in Asia uh, somewhere, like in uh, a group of nomadic people who kind of wandered around in the, uh, the Gobi Desert. Um, so there was uh, two men that were walking in the desert, and they were walking in the middle of the desert, and they were in trouble because they, they didn't want to be where they were. Something had happened to them. One of the men had caused a, a problem or forgot to pack something, and they realized that they were quickly running out of water, and they were in big trouble. And the, one of the men started an argument with the other one, saying, it's all your fault. How could you do this? You've caused us a major problem, if not doomed us to die in the desert. And the argument got so heated that one of the guys turned and smacked the other one across the face, knocked him down on the ground. And this guy, these two guys had been friends for a long time and were very close. And this, this guy who got slapped was taken aback. And the guy who did the slapping was even taken aback. He couldn't believe he had done it. But, but the deed had been done. The offense had been offended upon the other man. He, he had the red mark across his cheek to show it, and he was just shocked. And so what he did is he went down into the desert sand and just like Jesus doodling on the ground, he wrote on the ground and said, my friend slapped me in the face, wrote it into the sand. Neither friend talked to each other. There was an awkward silence. They knew they had to keep moving, so they got up and continued to walk, but 
what, what could one say to the other? The offense had been offended already. There was a, a, a rift between the two friends. The, the guys couldn't no longer associate with each other other than to just walk in the same direction and hope for survival. Well, as they continued walking, the situation got more and more dire. They ran out of water. They were in big trouble in the middle of the desert, and they said, what are we going to do? Well, one of them finally, the one who had been slapped across the cheek, finally succumbed to the, the challenges. He, out of dehydration and exhaustion, he collapsed, and he blacked out. Darkness. And sometime later, whether it be a couple hours or a couple of days, he has no frame of reference. He finally wakes up and sees above him the blue sky. And he sees slightly off to the right a, a bit patch of green. It's the leaves of a palm tree. And he sees a little bit further over blue trickling water. And then to his upper right... He sees there's a, a stone, and on that stone is a bowl, and inside of that bowl are, are picked tropical fruits ready to eat. And then he goes a little farther, and he sees a fire, and next to the fire is his friend, grinning ear to ear and smiling at him and saying, finally, you've awakened. We made it. Isn't it so fortunate we made it to this oasis? We're going to make it. I've refilled our water jugs. We're going to be fine. He was so, in, you know, rejoiced that they, they celebrated together and they were happy. And as soon as, as soon as the man was fit enough, he walked over to the, to the bowl of fruit and he grabbed it and he laid it on the ground. And he went and he picked up another rock. And on this large stone, he carved, my friend saved my life. And the other man noticed that this first man had done that and the similarity of what he had done when he wrote the words in the sand. And he asked him about it. He said, why did you do sand for one thing and, and rock for the other? And the man said, when you, when you offended me seriously, when you slapped me across the face, I wrote it in the sand because it really happened and it needed to be recorded. But I also know that it was one of those things when you offend me, I write it in the sand so that the wind can come a few days later and sweep it away. But I wrote in the stone the good thing that you did for me, that you saved my life, because those are the things I always want to remember, that love that you had for me, that you saved me. And so he wrote it into the stone to record it so that it would stay, and no wind, no rain, no storms, nothing could erase that event that happened. This is sort of like what Peter is trying to say, right? It's not that the, the sin in the world didn't happen. It's not as if, though, the offenses that we have put against people in our lives or the, or the apathy that we have expressed in some of our relationships hasn't happened. It's not like the years haven't gone by since we last talked to that person. All those things are realities. But they're like sand. And what we need is something that's stone, something that's solid. And that's, that's the love, the the loving deeply that Peter is talking about. Loving deeply is the only thing that can cover over the sin. And we know this is a reality for us because of what Jesus did for us. The, the multitudinous sins of the whole wide world are a problem. And what do we do about that massive 
mega huge problem of humanity's sin and the brokenness of the world? Well, loving deeply. Not our loving deeply, but His loving deeply. His, His infinite depth of love for us that sent His Son into the world to lovingly die on the cross for us that that sin might be covered over. Jesus then commands us, His people, to do the same. Not to die for the sins of the world, but rather to look at the the multitudinous sins of our lives, of our relationships, the brokenness that we have in these friendships that have decayed over time, these struggles we've had with people in our lives. And he says, the only thing that can fix that, that junk, is deep love. Loving deeply. So he says, above all, Peter says, above all else, above all other kinds of, of you know, self-help promotions, all other kinds of sweeping things under the rug, all other kinds of methods to try to resolve a problem, above all of those, love deeply. And in loving deeply, you will see those, those sins, those broken relationships, those, those hurt feelings, those neglected friends, they will be covered over. They will be made right again. And so that is sort of where we are left as God's people confronted with this this expectation that we love deeply, that all the broken relationships in our lives might be repaired. So that's a tall order, I I will readily admit. And frankly, this side of heaven, we're not going to fix all of the problems in our relationships. We know that full well. But what we have is an opportunity to open a door that has been slammed shut for very long, or maybe open many doors. My, my main sort of exhortation to you, my main sort of calling to you, and I believe it's God's calling to each of us, is not that we seek to completely do everything ourselves to heal a broken relationship, but my calling today is that you make the first move. That door has been opened when we love deeply. Some people may take that door, some of these relationships may take that door and slam it shut as quickly as it's been opened. But you never know, there may be one that when we make one small step towards them in love, they might reciprocate and take one more small step towards us in love. And thereby begin this process of reconciliation and healing. This process of sharing a true relationship with somebody and in that relationship to share another relationship that exists. A relationship not between two broken sinners, but a relationship between a broken sinner and his eternal father who loves him deeply. A relationship between a God who died for her so that she might know that Savior and rejoice in his name. So we're, we're called as his people to love and to love deeply. That's our calling. Take that small first step and see what God does with that first step. Because we don't know. We don't know what may happen. But I can guarantee you I do know what will happen if we do not take that small step the exact same brokenness and pain and sinfulness that we've seen around us our whole lives. Be the difference. Be the ones who take a small step. Be the ones who try to heal 
broken relationships because no one else in this world is doing that. And if we want to make a difference in this world, that's a great way to start doing it. Let's be that difference. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, Heavenly Father, for calling us this day to steward our relationships well. Help us to invest in others. Help us to see the brokenness around us and take one small step to bring healing to it through your power. I thank you, Lord, for calling us into a relationship of love with you and pray that you would call many others to a relationship with you as they see our love displayed in our everyday life and in our relationships. We pray this all in Jesus' holy and precious name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.